Amen, amen, and amen. Through the worship part of the service this morning, the music, the prayer, the singing, just reminded how blessed we are at Anchor Folk Baptist Church. I still believe with all my heart this place is God's sweetheart. Watching all them ladies that you know the Lord takes care of. Ladies, you know who you are, raising them hands, saying, Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Just reminded me greatly how much of a spiritual place this is and how much of a spiritual people this is. And I'm thankful this morning for the opportunity to preach. I'll pray for Brother Dan, as it's already been said, he's traveling, fulfilling the needs of the mission board that he heads up. He's expressed many times that hopefully um, by the time he finishes the calendar year from when he became the, 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 the president of that ministry board, that he won't have to be on the road as much. But for now, he's going and giving reports to all those churches. So y'all pray for him. Um, and I'm thankful, and I don't take for granted the opportunity to preach to you this morning, and I hope that it's a blessing. If you'll go ahead and be turning, you're going to be in two places this morning, Mark chapter number 6 and Luke chapter number 7. Again, that's Mark chapter number 6 and Luke chapter number 7. We'll read in Mark first. Mark chapter number 6 and Luke chapter number 7. We do have two texts to read this morning, and they are a little lengthy, so for the sake of your knees and your legs, you can keep your seats this morning, but we will read Mark chapter number 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. If you found your place in your Bible, say amen. 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 Mark chapter number 6, verse number 1 says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he, church, say it with me, marveled because of their unbelief. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7. Here's Jesus again. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered to Capernaum. This is a completely separate instance, a completely separate uh, truth and in, in, in text in our Bibles. But now when he had ended all his sayings in verse 1 in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was... And a certain centurion's servant, excuse me, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and he was now not far from the house. And the centurion sent friends unto him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. 
For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. This morning I want to preach on this thought, marvelous faith or marvelous unbelief. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your text this morning. Thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much that we do not have to play a guessing game of what Your will is for each and every one of our lives, but You gave us Your Word. You gave us Scripture. You inspired divinely men to write it, and You breathe into the words You'd have us to read here this morning. God, I pray that You get me out of Your way, that You speak and be a blessing to this Thy people. God, speak to each and every individual as only You know how. And God, I pray that if there's any in here struggling with faith this morning, maybe even faith, to believe the gospel and be saved. God, I pray that you touch them in a special way as only you can this morning. Draw them under your convicting power. Save them by your grace. God, wrap your arms of love and mercy and grace around those that just need a help this morning, that just need to hear from you, that just need to be reminded of who they are in your eyes. God, I pray and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today's message will be structured just a little bit differently, if you can't tell already. Rather than an introduction and some truths from a single text, we're going to take two texts this morning, one from Mark chapter 6 that we read, and one from Luke chapter 7. Uh, and we're going to <coughs> look at the truths between those texts, and we're going to look and compare uh, and see where each and every one of us fall this morning as far as our subject and our attitude of faith. We are going to be preaching on faith this morning. Here in these two texts, we find Jesus do something that He did nowhere else in the New Testament. This word is not used anywhere else in your Bible. This word of marveling, this world, this word of, and Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And Jesus marveled. And He said, so great faith have I not found in Israel. Here we have in these two texts, uh, the word marveled, and I want to dive into that word just, just momentarily to make sure we understand that it is the same Greek word used in both texts. It's the word, uh, Strong's 2296, the word thalmazo, okay? Thalmazo. And if you were to look at the word and, and its spelling, you would see that we draw our word amazed from that word. That when it says in our text, Jesus marveled, it was, he was simply amazed. I want to be perfectly clear in that the people's unbelief in Nazareth and the centurion's belief in Capernaum did not catch Jesus by surprise. When he was marveling at this, he was not surprised by it. He did not not see it coming. For our God is sovereign. He knows all truth. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. However, this simply amazed him. Here we have the sovereign creator of the universe. I want you to grasp how big this word is. The fact that Jesus marveled this morning, how big this is. He is the sovereign creator of the universe. We know that he was there at the beginning with God when God said, let there be light. And there was light. He was there when God breathed into the nostrils, the breath of life uh, into Adam and then into Eve. He was there when uh, he you know, preserved Noah with that ark and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was there and saw the floods take out and completely eradicate the population of the earth. Jesus, God the Son, He was there when God hung the stars and the moon and the sky. He was there uh, <clears throat> when... Uh, he saw, he did these miracles. This is the man that the winds and seas obey his voice. This is the man that touched the blind man and made him to see. This is the man that would raise people from the dead. This is the man that would do miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet this subject of faith, or lack thereof, 
amazed him. Amazed him. It, it set him back to the point where he marveled at their unbelief and he marveled at his face. This subject of faith this morning is the pivotal subject by which each and every one of us live our daily lives. We either live by faith or we live by fear or by doubt or by anxiety or by this or that or the other. We cannot be motivated by both at the same time. As Christians, as children of the living God, we have placed our faith and our trust in the Word of God and the Son of God and Jesus Christ and His blood on Calvary, and it is our faith that determines how the Holy Spirit moves and works in each and, of our, each and every one of our lives. Each and every one of us in here, if we say and we've confessed and we've repented and we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have His presence with us at all times. It is simply up to our faith and dependence on Him of whether we go this way or whether we go that way, of whether we do what He would have us to do or do what we would want to do. It is all measured on our faith this morning. I want to ask you, how is your faith this morning? Make no mistake this morning, the one preaching to you has had his fair struggles of having a lack of faith. I've had my fair struggles with finding it hard to believe some things and finding it hard to act in some ways and finding it hard to stand for some things and finding it hard to speak out against some things. But faith this morning is something that we all regularly need a checkup on, don't we? We all regularly need a checkup from the neck up, is what people used to say, and making sure that our faith is aligning with where Scripture says it should be. So here we have a text where they had no faith, they had unbelief, and we also have a text where a man had great faith. All right, That's the end of the story. We can clearly see that as we've read our text. But there were some practical things in each of their circumstances that led them to, whether being non-faithful, or faithful. This morning, uh, we may have some bad habits. We may have some things we're doing like that unbelieving crowd. We might have some things we're doing like that centurion. There may be somebody in here that's never experienced faith in your entire life. You've never believed in something you couldn't see. You've never believed in something you couldn't touch. You've never wanted something more than what this world can afford. And I pray this morning that each and every one of us, whether saved or lost, we count and measure our faith this morning. I'm a bad news first kind of guy. I like to go to the bad news and then present the good news. All right, Just like the gospel. The bad news is you and I are sinners this morning by birth and by choice. And the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. So we're going to do the same thing with our message. And we're going to look at the bad news first. In Mark chapter number 6, verse number 1, we're going to look at this group of people. This group of people we see in verse number 1, and he went from thence and came into his own country. We know that to be the place of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. We know he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up and made his family and made his reputation in the town of Nazareth. It was said by the Pharisees and by the Sadducees alike that no good thing came from Nazareth, that this wasn't a, uh, a very you know, popular place. This wasn't a place of tremendous wealth. This was a very humble place, a very uh, small town feel, if you will, similar to, like the teenagers say, Eastridge, Georgia, where we live. All right, So uh, <coughs> it, it, it was a, a small town and a small place, and it was where Jesus was from. And he enters back into his own hometown. He enters back after doing miracles, after performing many wonderful works, after preaching. He enters back into his own town. And the first thing I want you to see is the people in this town, their position this morning. Let's look where Jesus goes. And he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. 
he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him... So where would they have had to have been? The synagogue, okay? Many hearing him, okay, were astonished, saying, from whence hath this man these things? Their position this morning was a religious position. Jesus enters the synagogue and begins to teach. And it's important to note this morning, the people here in Nazareth that heard him, that began to ask these questions, were also in the synagogue. They were also there. They had come there to fulfill the obligations of the law, to go through the religion and the practicality of Judaism. They had come there to hear the reading of the Torah, to hear the reading of some of the prophets, to hear the uh, the local elder there, the local rabbi get up and explain and, and expound on the Word of God. But when they came to church that morning, on that Sabbath day, when they came to the synagogue, they hear this preacher preaching and they don't understand what he's saying. And they start to ask the question, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Where does this guy get this kind of wisdom from? I want you to see how big this is. They went to worship God there, didn't they? They went to church that morning to worship. They went to the synagogue. They were checking their boxes. They were like, oh, it's the Sabbath. Let's go to the synagogue. Let's go hear the elder. Let's go hear the message. Let's go sing the songs. And then we'll go to KFC afterwards and we'll have checked our box, right? And they went to that synagogue and they went to worship. And the one that they ought to have been worshiping was there and they didn't even recognize him. They went to church. They checked the box. They were in a religious position. They were the ones that walked around the rest of the day and said, I went to church this morning. Pat on the back, okay? I put my dress on, I put my suit on, I put my tie on. You ought to get a crown in heaven just for these things right here, okay? Whoever came up with these, not very smart people, okay? But I did it, I checked all my boxes, I I made it, and Jesus was there. Didn't even recognize Him. I'm afraid that if in 2022 Jesus came and sat in some of our pews, we may not even realize that that's Him. We may not even realize... That's him. Why didn't they recognize him this morning? His teaching wasn't what they were used to hearing at the old synagogue Baptist church. When he got up and began to teach, it wasn't what the rabbis would have been teaching. How do we know that? Because they said, what is this teaching he's saying? What is he talking about? That he's come to forgive. Who does this man think he is to go against the teaching that we've heard all our lives? I ain't never heard preaching like this before. I ain't never heard a preacher say it this way. I ain't never heard a preacher say it that. Who does this guy think he is? His teaching wasn't like what they were used to hearing. He comes in to seek and to save that which was lost. He comes in, keep in mind, mind you, to the town where he grew up. The people that should have heard of his virgin birth and heard of who he was and known where he was come from and known his purpose. Mary was given it. His family members no doubt knew it. But here he is in the hometown. And when he begins to teach, they say, this isn't like the preaching we're used to at all. Who does this guy think he is? His teaching wasn't what they were used to hearing at the old synagogue Baptist church this morning. Not only that, but his power could help those who may not be welcomed at the old synagogue Baptist church this morning. You see, Jesus had been out healing and touching and preaching and calling followers out of being tax collectors and calling followers out of publicans and sinners and going and eating with publicans and sinners and going to speak to prostitutes and going to speak to these lost and dying people. And now here he is after rubbing elbows with that crowd, he has the audacity to come to church. Hmm. He... Do you think they might follow him? Do you think he might bring all that crowd with him to church? Think about this. He had, in the, 
in the second part of verse 2, he says, it's given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. They had heard the miracles he'd been doing. They had heard of the teachings he'd been saying. And here he is. And rather than going to him, following him, following him and fellowshipping with him and asking him questions and getting close to him, they're standing back on their own spiritual platform and their religious position and saying, what if these people he's been out rubbing shoulders with come with him? This man must not understand all the things it tells us in the Torah. Who does this man think? They were in a religious position this morning. And some of us, the reason our faith never climbs to the heights that it should be is because we are so focused on religion. We are so focused on making sure every box is checked, every T is crossed, every I is dotted, that we're looking over this way and that way, making sure every single thing we do is perfect and nobody can make an accusation. And we get so caught up in going through the motions that Jesus could be sitting on the pew right next to us, we wouldn't have the faith to see that it was Him. Here they are in a religious position. Not just their position, but their focus. Their focus. Look at Mark 6 in verse number 3. Is this not the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? His occupation is what they start looking at. All the miracles this man could have done, and they go, what's his day job? Think about this. Who does this man think he is? His occupation was not prestigious enough. You see, the Jews were looking for the Messiah to be a great military leader, to be a great general, to be a great soldier that would come in and free them and liberate them from Rome. But here this man was, and all he was good at was working a hammer and some nails and building some things and working on some things. And they say, is this not the carpenter? They start looking at the natural this morning. Their focus was a natural focus. A fleshly focus. A carnal focus. What's his day job? A carpenter? Who does he think he is to come into synagogue and to teach that which is contrary to what the elders are teaching and the rabbis are teaching? His occupation. He was a carpenter. But he wasn't there to build a building. Say that again. He wasn't there to build a building. He wasn't there to build big giant buildings. He was there to build a church. And he still is. God is not interested in big buildings made with man's hands. He's not interested in big giant facilities and big giant things. He can bless. He can allow those things to come to be. He can use those things. But He's not interested in building with brick and mortar. He's not interested in hanging sheetrock and laying down carpet. He's not interested in what color we're going to paint this or what color we're going to do that. He's interested in building lives, building churches, building people up to inhabit and to build His kingdom in heaven. That's what he's interested in. He wasn't working on buildings back then. He's not working on buildings now. We're blessed here to have a beautiful building and beautiful facilities, and God can use that. But if we lose focus like they did and start focusing on the natural, he's a carpenter. What's he trying to build? What's he trying to do? What's he, how's he trying to gain in his day job? He's not interested in anything here. He's building a kingdom in heaven. We should be doing the same thing. We should be doing the same thing. We start having a heavenly focus and we start building lives and building souls and reaching people for the kingdom of God. The rest of this stuff will take care of itself. He'll supply the needs. He'll make sure we've got everything we need to do his work because it's his work, not our work. His occupation, his origin. Look at this. Is not just the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon. Are they not his sisters here with us? And they were, what's that word? How many's tired of hearing that word? Okay. I'm tired of hearing that word. Okay. 
I'm offended. Spoiler alert. Jesus is offensive. Calvary is offensive. When you stand and you proclaim the message that all have come short and fall short of the glory of God, that's offensive. We should not be shocked when they are offended at Jesus. Let alone, we should not be offended that they are offended at Jesus. How many times do we spiral out of control in social media or at Wally's or at the, at the breakfast table and we get mad, we get fired up because somebody was offended by Jesus? We knew they were going to be offended by Jesus. We were called to give them the truth and love, weren't we? To love thy neighbor as thyself. But sometimes we let their offense make us offended. They said, who does... They were looking at his origin. Is this not that little Mary's boy? That one that was just a teenager and came home pregnant? And there was some, there was some stories about that one. Isn't that not who this is? This was his hometown. These were the people that should have recognized us. This was the one that was born of a virgin. This is the Messiah. These are the ones the shepherds were talking about. These are the one the wise men came from the east and brought gifts to. This is that Jesus boy. This is the one that was teaching in the synagogue when he was 12. This is the one that was doing all these mighty things. This is him. We found him. We should wrap our arms up. But instead, they were looking at the natural. They were saying, his brothers and sisters work down at the McDonald's. His brothers and sisters are over there plowing the fields. Who does he think he is? A lot of times that's where we put our faith. What we see. And people. Instead of the supernatural, we look at the natural. Notice, and I find this interesting. Just find it interesting. They didn't say son of Joseph, did they? they said son of Mary, which he was. They listed his brothers and sisters. But they didn't utter... This is Joseph's little boy. I believe he would have corrected him if they said it, didn't you? He would have said, yes, Joseph was married to Mary. But let me tell you who my father is. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that spoke this whole thing into existence. And before you start questioning my pedigree, people of Nazareth, before you start questioning my origin, people of Nazareth, you religious folks, you people that are looking down your nose at me, let me tell you who my father is. But he didn't, because they didn't. Just found it interesting. They didn't list his father, because if they did, he'd have had to correct them. Verse, their focus was on the natural. Their focus was on the natural. Their position was religious. Their focus was on the natural. Again, we're talking about things that can bring our faith down. We don't watch where our position is. We don't watch. Are we getting close to an organization, to a religion, or are we getting close to Jesus? Are we focusing on Jesus? Are we focusing on His Spirit? Are we focusing on His life and His purpose for us? Or are we focusing on the natural, on men and women and places and what we see? Their focus and then their consequences. Look at verse number 4. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin in his own house. And he could there do, look at this, no mighty work. Imagine Jesus' homecoming, going back to his hometown after his public ministry had began. 
Oh, and little so-and-so that I grew up with. He's older now. He's probably going to be in the synagogue. I'm going to do this for him. Oh, so-and-so and so-and-so that my dad worked with. Oh, that, that lady that helped my mom. And oh, that lady that took care of my brothers and sisters while I've been away. I'm going home. I'm going to Nazareth. The things that I'm going to do there are so amazing. So that you're not even, they're not even going to have books to write them all down. And there they don't believe in them. And he could do no mighty work. Think of all the blessings that they missed out on. Why? Their unbelief. Their unbelief. Withheld blessing. Jesus is a perfect gentleman this morning. He will not force His blessing, His providence, His person into any one of your lives. He won't force Himself closer to you. He only comes by invitation this morning. He is a perfect gentleman. And as a believer, as a Christian, that invitation is our faith. To know that He does love us, to know that He does want to come closer to us, that He does want to see us through some of these things. Our faith this morning is what invites Him. But you see, here they got their blessing withheld. Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He will never force His presence on anyone. Faith invites it. Who has missed out in your life because of your unbelief? I want you to think on that. Here you had the people in the synagogue question Him, not believe in them. And because of their unbelief, you had an entire city that wasn't influenced because of the people in the church house. See how big that is? See the ripple effect there? The people in the synagogue says, who do you think you are? And there he could do no mighty work. Who's missed out on some of the blessings in your life, daddy? Because you didn't have faith. Mama, who's missed out on some of the blessings of God, the providence of God because of your lack of faith? Neighbor, friend, coworker, who's missed out seeing God work in their lives because you didn't have the faith? There he went to his folks, to the ones at the synagogue, to the ones that should have been ready to receive him. And their unbelief stopped the ministry there in Nazareth in his tracks. He goes on to say, towns like this, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than towns like that. Church, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what went on there. It's happening today in 2022. It's going to be better for those people than it is for the people that should have known better but did not have the faith to believe in what God was trying to get across to them. Withheld brotherhood, they could have been closer to Him. This, again, this is His hometown. They could have been closer to Jesus than anyone else in His public ministry. But their unbelief is what stopped that relationship, what stopped that closeness. And he went around to some villages on the outskirts and did some things and touched a few sick folk. But we never hear of Jesus ever going back to Nazareth after this moment right here. That's the bad news this morning. Some Christians, some lost folks are guilty this morning of a marvelous amount of unbelief. We're given creation. We're given the witness of the prophets and of the Word of God. We're given the gift of prophecy to know that thousands of years before Russia invaded Ukraine and thousands of years before we see the world turning against God by and large, thousands of years before it was already foretold, it was already said that it was going to happen exactly how it has happened. It takes a marvelous amount of unbelief to go, it's just a, it's just a coincidence. Who, does, who do these church folk think they are? Who are you focusing on? 
the natural. Who does Jesus think He is? It takes a marvelous amount of unbelief to stand against the truth that we see in creation and all over the world that the gospel is real. That's the bad news. Let's go over to the good news. Luke chapter number 7 this morning. Luke chapter number 7. I'm aware of the time. This one's a lot more fun, so we'll get through it a lot faster. Luke chapter number 7. We're going to look at the same three things that we looked at at Nazareth because we're making a comparison here, and we're seeing where each and every one of us fall in line at on our faith. We saw their position was religious, wasn't it? We saw their focus was on the natural, and we saw their consequences was separation. They didn't get any closer to Jesus than they were in that moment because of their unbelief. Now we're going to look at this man's position. Here we have a centurion, a soldier in the Roman army, someone who had authority, someone who had power. Okay, His position, he was an outsider. Okay, He was an outsider. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't one of the children of Israel. He wasn't one of the ones practicing the law. But here we have this outsider... He was a Roman. He was part of Israel's biggest problem. I want you to get this. Israel was looking for the Messiah to come and eradicate the Roman empires, what Israel was looking for in their Messiah. But here we have a Roman, all right, someone who symbolizes everything that Israel is against, okay? He is on as outside as outside can get, okay? Yeah, you had your divisions of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and you had your tax collectors and you had your... But the Romans, they were top of the list on the people that... Israel didn't want nothing to do with. Why? Because they were enslaving the Jew. They were enslaving the people of Israel. They were dominating the entire world at the time. So here you have a centurion, a complete outsider. Okay, He was a Roman, and he had influence. He was not a Jew, but he had some form of of a connection to the local uh, synagogue there and to the local Jewish leaders there in Capernaum. He, He wasn't a Jew, but he knew the Jews. And if you study this out, you'd see that the centurions, they were in charge of keeping the peace in their area. So what they would do was they would use religion to keep peace. They would go to the Jewish leaders there in the synagogues and say, hey, you know, we've got people fishing when they're not supposed to. We've got people not paying taxes on this. We've got people doing this. We need you to come out with a message next Sunday morning that tells them to stop doing this stuff. Okay? And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they were afraid of the Romans, would go do that. And then the Jews would fall in line because their religious leaders told them to do something. So centurions here, while they were outsiders, they had an in with the the leadership of the Jewish community because they would manipulate and use that. So here you have his position, a complete outsider. But because of a connection to someone on the inside, he now has a bridge to become an insider. Write this down. Outsiders become insiders when insiders go outside. Okay? How many of you know an outsider? You know somebody that has no interest in coming to church, has no interest in Jesus, has no interest in the things of God. They are an outsider by every definition. They do not want anything to do with the gospel. They do not want anything to do with the people of God. But you could be the insider that tells them about who's in the inside of you that turns them from an outsider to an insider. 
Here you have a centurion, a Roman, a soldier that was only introduced but to Jesus that only could make the connection between him and God because there was somebody in the Jewish community that could get him to Jesus, that could tell him to Jesus, that could go between him and Jesus. Many of us have outsiders in each and every one of our lives. This is not along with the subject of the message, but this is free this morning. Many of us have people that we come into contact with that are complete outsiders, and you may be the one insider that God puts in their path to show them and lead them to Jesus Christ. This centurion has a problem. He's an outsider and he has a servant who's sick. So already his focus is not like the Nazarenes. It's not on himself. Okay? It's on his servant. It's on somebody that he's dear to. A close friend. And he has this problem where his servant is sick. His servant is sick. And he knew that there was nothing left in Rome could do for him, there was nothing left there in Capernaum could do for him, that the problem his servant had could only be solved, not naturally, but supernaturally. You see, his focus, unlike the Nazarenes, was not on the natural. He was looking for something supernatural. Okay, This morning, if you came here looking for something natural... Sorry, it's going to fail you. This morning, if you came looking for something from a person or a place or a thing or something created under this earth and in this heaven, we know that the Bible says there is no name given amongst men by which you must be saved. But I have given Him, Jesus, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you came here looking for anything natural this morning, looking for anything of this earth, you will be disappointed. But if you're like the centurion and you understand that what's going on in your life cannot be solved naturally, cannot be solved with medication, cannot be solved with socialization, cannot be solved with a Democrat, cannot be solved with a Republican. But what you're going through in your life, the valley that you're in, the mountain that you're standing on, the only way that you're going to have a solution is something has to happen that is supernatural. Something has to come from God. You're right there where this centurion was standing. He had to have something real. He knew he needed it. And it wasn't even for him. It was for his friend, his servant, that was sick. His focus was on the supernatural. He, again, he's an outsider. So we see here in verse number 2, man, i got to catch up with myself. In verse number 3, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. He heard Jesus was in Capernaum. He said, go get him. He needs to come heal my servant. I need him. And they came to Jesus and they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. So here you have some Jews that were on Jesus' side here and said, Jesus, we know what you can do. This man is worthy. He may be a Roman. Look, they're already speaking. Jesus already knew who he was. Jesus already knew he was going to come ask the question. But here you have some insiders going, he's a Roman, he's a soldier, but he's been good to us. He built us a synagogue. He's, he's been taking care of us. We know, Je- but please, Jesus, go help him. Please, Jesus, go help him. Please, Jesus, go help him. How many of the people in your lives, the outsiders in your lives, have you ever just said, please, Jesus, help him. Please, Jesus, touch him. Please, Jesus, meet him. Here they come on his behalf going, this centurion, he needs help. He's asked for you. Jesus, please help him. So they take Jesus with them and they start to go and they start to get closer to where it was and they start to get closer to where the sick man was and he knew that his position was unworthy. Our faith will really start to grow 
when we remember just how little we are. The bigger we get, the smaller our faith gets. Okay? I know this is simple this morning, so try to help. But the bigger we get in our own eyes, that's when we start going down on faith. John said, he must increase and I must decrease. And we should say, like this centurion, he stops him. He sends people out. You don't even have to come in the house. You don't even have to see them. Jesus, the only thing, and this still goes for today, the only thing required for the same miracle in your life is for Jesus to will it to happen. You don't have to wait on this, that, or the other. You don't have to wait for a big sign in the sky or a big bolt of lightning to come down and solve all your problems. No. You have the same gift the centurion had. You have access to say, God, this is what's going on. Your will be done. He meets Jesus there on the road and he says, he sends messengers. He himself doesn't even see himself worthy to go talk to him. But he sends messengers and says, all you've got to do is speak it and it will happen. So his focus was not on the natural, but the supernatural. And lastly, his consequences. His consequences. Look at chapter, verse number nine. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. This is the same word that amazed him in Nazareth. This is the same word where Jesus was so taken back by their unbelief. He's just as taken back by somebody that was so far from God, somebody that had done so many things wrong, somebody that had had such a past, that had such a history, yet it didn't matter who they were, where they'd come from. It didn't matter all the faults and all the failures that the moment they had the faith to ask Jesus to come into their little lives, to come into their scenario, help them, heal them, bless them, the moment they had the faith to do that, He was amazed by that level of faith. He marveled at the centurion going, He's never been to a church service a day in his life. He's never sat on the pew the first time. He's never opened the Torah. He's never opened the Bible. He's never given out a gospel track. He's never listened to Christian radio. He's never, but he has faith that I have not even seen in Israel. Jesus literally says that. He says in verse nine, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. This morning, some of you could be in that centurion's shoes. Saying the only way this is going to happen is if God does it. And that's the only way. There is no plan B. The only way to fix what's going on in my life is if God does it. Do you know that the answer is not going to be found in what you can do, but what He can do? And how much faith you have in Him to do it? So I ask you this morning, how is your faith? Because in 2022, it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian, ain't it? Try being one in Israel. Try being one in Ukraine. If our faith is not great here, how can we look at anybody else and ask their faith to be great? Of all the blessings you and I get to enjoy. 
the power of the local New Testament church has not diminished because God has left or God has moved away or because God has separated, but because the local New Testament church has lost the faith to believe that the God that is still on the throne is the God that has the power to correct and to condemn and to come down and do what needs to be done here in this place. And we may not see peace. We may not see tranquility until Jesus comes back in the rapture. But I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times, Jesus is going to come back and He's not going to take a wounded bride back with Him to heaven. He says that His bride will be without blemish and without spot. He will take a strong bride. He will take a faithful bride. And I don't know what else it's going to take. I was talking to Brother Dan. I don't know what else it's going to take for the church of the living God to wake up this morning, to wake up this year, to wake up there in this day and age and realize that the only thing stopping you and stopping me from seeing God do great and mighty things right here in 2022 is our faith. Do we believe it can happen? Do we believe He can use Anchor of Hope Baptist Church at 2613 Lakeview Drive? How is your faith this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word and Your Scriptures. And God, how we can be reminded that each and every one of us can get like those people in Nazareth. We can get religious. We can get focused on the natural. We can get focused on men and women and what our capabilities are and what our jobs are and what our abilities are. But God, help us to be reminded this morning by that centurion that not only did you do a miracle in his life and heal his servant, but God, you were able to use and bless all those around him, all those in his house. God, I pray this morning for great faith from Anchor of Hope Baptist Church. In a day, an hour where churches are drying up, where churches are closing their doors, where churches are going by the wayside and that Men are manipulating and seducing, but God, I pray that you help us to stay with your scripture. You help us to stay being a faithful church, not a fearful church, but a faithful church that will stand for you in these last days. God, we know your time is soon and your coming is swift, God, and you will not tarry, you will not delay. You know the day and you know the hour. The God of the Father will give you the call and you'll come with the trump of God and take us all home. But until that moment, God, help us not be found in a marvelous state of unbelief, but help us to be found in a marvelous state of faith. God, let us walk by faith, not by sight, over the coming weeks, over the coming months in this dark and dying world. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.